Hello and welcome in to the mashup, your number one source for sports gaming and everything in between. I am your host, Jake Patterson, and sorry it's a day late. I was not feeling too great yesterday, so I had to push recording back a day. But feeling better now. I pretty much slept all day yesterday, and I'm feeling a lot better. And yeah, let's let's just get into this because if I recorded the show yesterday. I would be in a significantly worse mood than I am right now when it comes to League of Legends and NA's hopes at Worlds. Because today, NA did go 1-2. and two. They, they were under 500, sure. But FlyQuest played very well against one of the best teams of the tournament in DRX. Liquid played the best game they have in months. And beat G2. And TSM we won't talk about because clearly the curse of double lift is truly real. Because what else could it be? This is now two years in a row that NA's summer split champion, their first seed at Worlds, has just crapped the bed. Just entirely crapped the bed. Completely failed to make it out of groups. Like... They have to go 3-0 and against the teams they just lost to. So, LGD, Gen.G, and Fnatic. Three very good teams. They will have to go 3-0 and against them, and they do not play until Saturday. Because that's the rest of the group stage. It's Group A on Thursday... Group B on Friday, Group C on Saturday, and Group D on Sunday. So everybody is playing three games over the next four days. And that's all they're doing. They play three games in a single day, and then their tournament, and then they are done. And they await their fate. Well, they'll know because the the group the group seatings will be locked. It'll just be, you know, how how knockouts ended up end up getting seated. And and from there we go to we go to best of fives. Best of fives. That's gonna be nuts. And that's where the better teams start to take over. So even if TSM does get out of groups, they're gonna lose in knockouts because there's no way they're winning a best of five against G2 or Zuning or Top or Damwon or DRX. Or Rogue if they get out. Or Fnatic. Or LGD. Or any of these teams. There's no way. And they probably won't... They probably won't end up playing LGD in knockouts because they will have just finished group stages with them. But if by some miracle of God they clear the first round of knockouts and they end up matching up against LGD, there's no way they're beating them in a best of five. There's no way. NA played absolutely amazing in play-ins. Team Liquid dominated play-ins. And up until earlier today, they played like absolute crap. They have looked horrible in their two games before this. Against Suning and against Machi. Like, they should have beaten Machi. They they absolutely should have beaten Machi Esports. Like, there, there's no excuse for that one. But the feeling... My opinion of Liquid has improved... Since they did just beat a literal super team, Broxa played out of his mind, which has clearly been the meta. 
at World so far is you need your jungle to carry. Like, Jungle Diff has been the decider in almost every game. Like, if you got the better jungler and they're carrying, you probably win. Like, that's been the meta the entire tournament, even including play-ins. Like, it's it's all come down to the junglers. And Broxa was playing very well in play-ins. And he finally got that form back today against G2. And that's why Liquid won. I mean, Tactical had a good game, too. Jensen's been having one of the best years of his career. But so has Bjergsen, and TSM's 0-3. <laughs> the, the curse of Doublelift is truly real. Like, there, there's no other way around it. The, the curse of Doublelift is real. Like, because two years in a row, two different orgs have won the Summer Split Championship. Two years in a row now, that's happened. And two years in a row, they have completely bombed out of Worlds. What did... Because I know they won Summer 2018. What did Team Liquid do at Worlds 2018? Worlds 20... Not 19. I don't want last year. I, I am well aware of what they did last year. What did they do... What did they do at Worlds 2018? It's not on here. What in the world? MSI 2019? What? Why is Worlds... Alright, let's see this. Go to Worlds 2019 and then go back a year. Alright. Worlds 2019. And then go back a year to Worlds 2018. What did Riot do? Or Riot, what did Team Liquid do? Because they weren't in play-ins, because they won summer. Okay, they finished three and three in groups and didn't make it out of groups. So, yeah, three, three worlds in a row. The NA Summer Champion, which was Team Liquid in 2018 has once again failed to make it out of groups. Or, I mean, it's not a guarantee yet, but if they lose even one game on Saturday, they'll they'll be done. 2018 NALCS Summer Champion, Team Liquid. They finished 3-3 three and, three and completely bombed out of Worlds. Last year... The 2019 LCS Summer Champion, Team Liquid, finished... This is plans. Where's... Okay, here's groups. Team Liquid also finished 3-3 three and three and once again failed to make it out of groups. Now, they were in a group with Damwon and eventual world champions Invictus, but still. Now, in 2020... The LCS Summer Champion, TSM, is sitting at 0-3 at the bottom of their group. So, the common denominator here is not Team Liquid, it's not TSM. The common denominator is one Iliang Peter Doublelift Pang. It's very weird using his his uh, his real name, his American name, and his gamer tag just all in one. 
But you you know who I'm referring to. I'm referring to Double Lift. This is now three years in a row that he has won the Summer Split Championship in the LCS and is more than likely going to fail to make it out of groups. Because that's the thing. Every team in Group C, other than TSM, is 2-1. Fnatic's 2-1, Genji's 2-1, LGD's 2-1. TSM is 0-3. They have lost to everyone. <laughs> and now they have to play those same teams again. I'm pretty sure one of those games... No, they don't have any back-to-backs. Genji is the only one with back-to-backs on Saturday. But they have to play Fnatic. Then they get a game off. Then they play Gen.G. And then... They play LGD right after LGD is done with Fnatic. So that that's their schedule for Saturday. Is They play Fnatic, LGD plays Gen.G, then TSM plays Gen.G, then Fnatic plays LGD, LGD plays TSM, Gen.G plays Fnatic. That's, that's the full slate for Saturday. And I don't see a situation where TSM goes 3-0. Because if they go 3-0... They have a chance to tie and then play in tiebreakers to maybe get out of groups. I don't think they can do it. I think this will be the worst one in the three-year stretch for Double Lift because he's his teams have now been three and three two years in a row, and they're playing even worse this year than Team Liquid did last year. So I'm thinking they might be lucky to go one and five. Like the way they're playing right now. They would be lucky to beat any of those three teams on Saturday. They would be lucky to win a single game on Saturday. I well and truly believe that. Like, they are screwed. And that's going to be Double Lift's legacy. Is that he won three domestic summer championships in a row. Was the first seed from North America going to Worlds three years in a row. And bombed out of groups. Three years in a row. No one has won four straight NA championships. Team Liquid just did. Team Liquid is coming off a year where they did that. Led by Double Lift and Jensen, but mostly led by Double Lift. Now, this is going to be the third year in a row where he bombs out of groups. I think we're starting to see the common problem. And this guy is one of the best NA-born players ever. Like, true native North American players. He's one of the best ever. No denying that. But he can't get past the group stage at Worlds. And once someone can consistently win domestic championships and make runs at Worlds that is North American-born, they will immediately replace Doublelift as best player ever. Immediately. Like, this is not a Landon Donovan situation where where it's a niche thing. Like, the U.S. isn't considered very good. And this guy comes along and takes us on a magical ride that was, well, let's be honest here, the 2010 World Cup. This is not a Landon Donovan situation. Double lift is not Landon Donovan. He, he is not the Landon Donovan of League of Legends. He hasn't, he hasn't won anything. Like, if he had won MSI last year, if Team Liquid won MSI last year, maybe. 
But you you have to go on a run at Worlds because that's that's the real one. That's the granddaddy. Like if you win MSI, sure. Like that's that's an international championship. That's a major tournament championship. But look at the two trophies. You can look at the two trophies. You can look at the MSI trophy and the Summoners Cup, and you can immediately tell which trophy is more important. And think about that. The MSI trophy doesn't have a name. It doesn't. MSI doesn't have a name. The the MSI trophy does not have a name. It is just the MSI championship trophy. The championship trophy for Worlds is called the Summoner's Cup. It has a name. That's a big difference. That's a big, big difference. When your trophy has a name attached to it, think about it. The Lombardi Trophy. The Larry O'Brien Trophy. The Stanley Cup. The Commissioner's Trophy. Like, these things... The, the average person doesn't always know the name of it. But once people realize what they are, they know. And those, and those trophy names carry prestige. That, like, other than, well, the Stanley Cup and the Lombardi, people know that one. Not so much the Commissioner's Trophy and the Larry O'Brien Trophy. Not That one's not as much in the public consciousness. But, like, the Stanley Cup, the Lombardi Trophy... Those things carry weight. In League, it's the Summoner's Cup. Like, it's got some weight to it. And just looking at the trophy, you can tell it's more important than the MSI trophy. The MSI trophy is significantly smaller. Like, one person can lift it up, no issue. And that's usually what happens. The Summoner's Cup, everyone's putting their hands on it, even if they don't need to because they made it light. Uh, Initially, the first time we saw the Summoner's Cup in in Season 2... That thing was really freaking heavy, and it actually took all five guys to lift the thing. Now they've made it a little bit, made it a little bit lighter, made it e- easier to lift. But it's so big, it takes at least three of the guys to really get some elevation on that thing. It, it takes at least three of the members of the team to hold it up properly, just because of its sheer size. The MSI trophy is not the same way. Everyone's kind of reaching towards it and acting like they're holding it up, but it's not much bigger than than a regular, like, award show trophy. Like, you can hold it. You can very easily hold the MSI trophy in one hand. If you can hold the Summoner's Cup in one hand, you are ridiculously strong just because that thing is so massive. Like, you need... You need both hands to hold that thing. You can tell it's the more important trophy. And... I have hope that one day, a North American team will win Worlds. I do. I do believe one day a a North American team will, in fact, win a League of Legends World Championship. I, I am claiming that will happen at some point in my life. Like, I will see that happen. I don't know when, but my God, we need to... We need to figure it out. Like, North America needs to figure it out and improve the LCS infrastructure, stop relying so heavily on imports, because imports are... Imports are the big problem. Like, 
it's this I, I hate to keep drawing soccer comparisons, but it fits because Worlds is literally formatted to be like the World Cup. The same number of teams qualify, you have play-ins, you have a group stage, and then you go to knockouts. Like it's the same format. Other than the knockouts being singular games, because playing a best of five of a 90-minute soccer game sounds awful. But it's it's the same format as the World Cup, so this, the comparisons to soccer are similar. And the fact that League hasn't gained a massive foothold in North America. Like, there's a lot of fans in North America. But a lot of North, a lot of fans from North America watch European. Or they have horrible sleep schedules and they watch the LCK or the LPL. Like, the LCS doesn't draw as many eyeballs. Like... MLS is a fitting comparison because MLS is MLS's big draw is European soccer players on their retirement tour. They get a fat paycheck. They don't play with that much pressure. They can maybe win a championship, maybe two if they're lucky, and they have a team with some decent talent already there. They get to play in front of a rabid fan base that does appreciate them for who they are, even if it's smaller. And, and then when they're done, they've gotten their paycheck. They've maybe won a championship or two and they retire. The LCS is the same thing. Like other than, other than guys who came over like at the peak of their careers, like Bjergsen and Sven, like most of the imports are guys from Europe or Korea who happen to be able to speak English. They got fat paychecks, but they're washed. Like, they weren't going to get starting spots in the LEC or the LCK anytime soon. So they came to NA, the the For Fun League, and they got their paychecks. They may win an LCS championship, and then they don't really do anything at Worlds because there's not, there's not all that much pressure. We need to fix that. And orgs are taking steps in the right direction. Don't get me wrong. With 100X, Team Liquid X, like, orgs are taking steps in the right direction. Investing in the amateur scene. Investing in their academy teams. You gotta fix NA solo queue. But NA scouting sucks. NA scouting absolutely sucks. Like, we're not finding the good talent. I think one time. I don't know if anything even came of it. But shout out to Captain Flowers. Because this is a really cool thing he does on his stream. Where he'll get viewer... He'll make games for, for viewers... And he'll try to sort them as evenly as he can based on rank. And one time, he got a bunch of challenger players. He had four challenger players, two on each team. They had the role match. Like, they had to play against each other. It was no, like, oh, I need, I need, a, I need challenger, I need two challenger mid laners, two challenger top laners, two challenger whatever position you play. Like, you needed a role match so you didn't have challenger players just stomping on... Some poor Silver 2 guy. But one of the guys who was a challenger player had him play one of the champions lower down in his champion pool. I think it was someone outside of his top five was, I think, the rule. And this dude went nuts. And everyone in chat was like, well, he's probably going to get signed to an academy team in the next week. Like, there needs to be better scouting. If... Because 
Cats and Flowers isn't always going to be able to get four challenger players on his stream to play with a bunch of like iron and bronze players. Or I think in that game they had uh, the, the rest of the team was all silver. They had two challenger and three silver on each team. And it was really fun to watch because the silver guys were actually getting kills on the challenger players. Like solo kills. It was actually really cool. I would have freaked out if I got a solo kill on a challenger player because I'm not even silver. Like, I'm probably barely bronze. I I don't play ranked. I'm not high enough. I'm not even high enough level to even play ranked, so I don't know. But scouting in NA is trash. Like, we don't have a way to find the talent. Like, unless you stream and you have a, a decently sized stream, no one's going to find you. Like, North American solo queue is a joke. North American scouting is a joke. And I know. Papa Smithy and 100 Thieves, I, I know I've gushed about them on this show before, but they're doing stuff to get better. They created an amateur roster that's below Academy. Most of these kids are in high school still, and they're getting financially backed indirectly because they're not actually getting paid, but they're getting financially backed by 100 Thieves to play League of Legends. And one of the guys from 100X... He was on Academy within two months and he finished the seat. He finished the summer split on the LCS roster. That's impressive. That's why they didn't have a great finish to the year. Cause they were playing with such a young roster, but still that's the idea. That's what you need to do more of. If, if everyone invested in the NA amateur scene like that, and you could build the TCS even more, the Tyler one championship series, because that thing started as a meme. That thing started as a meme for him to get around his ban. Now, it's considered one of the best amateur scouting tournaments in North America. Like, if you could build up the TCS to be a little bit bigger. And and maybe Riot would get officially involved in, in sponsoring this thing. Maybe not even Riot. Just anyone. Maybe not even Riot directly. Just literally anyone. An org. Another another governing body of of esports. Like a, a collegiate esports governing body other than the CSL. The CSL sucks. Not them. But some other collegiate esports governing body or literally anyone. Preferably Riot directly because they would have the biggest budget. But if Riot could get involved, could build that thing up, could host later round matches on LAN at the LCS arena in LA once California stops being stupid. Like, host this thing, at host the, host the semis and the finals at the LCS arena. Like, make it a big deal. Heck, do, do the WWE thing. Do it like TakeOver. Have... Have the grand finals of the TCS happen in the venue the day before LCS summer finals. Well, you do the semifinals the day before, but have like have have it in the venue. Get people hyped up to see what the setup looks like for LCS Summer Finals or Spring Finals, whenever you want to do it. But have it 
have it set up there, have it right before, get everyone hyped up. You get to see the future and then you get to enjoy the present. That would be amazing. That would be so cool. Riot, that idea is not free. So if you take it, I want credit for it. I swear, Riot, do that and the LCS will improve. LCS owners, get on this. That's a good idea. I mean, there's still amateur players, but make it a show. Make it a spectacle. Have, have LCS casters on the call. With, with Tyler One, obviously, because he's he's part of the show and you Riot's finally made nice with him. But have him on the call. Have have Cutie Pie on the call. Have other pros on the call. Like make it a thing. Make it a big thing. And watch how much the amateur scene improves. If you invest in it, it will grow. And then maybe we can win worlds. We have an extra year to prepare for when we're hosting it now. We're not hosting it next year. We're hosting it in 2022. That gives you an extra year to prepare to maybe win Worlds in front of a home crowd. Get on that LCS. Get on that LCS owners because that is a good idea. That's a very good idea. Like, seriously, do that. You can thank me later. But that's what I've got. I got kind of rambly on how NA could improve, but that's kind of the discussion around Worlds every year is NA is a major region and we're starting to lag behind. Like, that's always the discussion. And what do you guys think? Like, what, what, I know there's a million problems, but what's the biggest one NA needs to fix to compete internationally? Like, is it scouting? Is it coaching? Is it solo queue infrastructure? Like, what's the, it's all of them. But what's the biggest one? What's the biggest one that needs to be fixed first? Let me know on Twitter at RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. Love to hear from you guys. But that's it for League of Legends. Up next, we'll uh, take a look at the wild week that was for more ways than one in the NFL. That's up next here on the Mashup. All right. World is done. Well, it's not done, but I'm done talking about it for this show. And time for some NFL. I know that's a weird transition, but that's what you've come to expect from this show, and I wouldn't give you anything less. Transitioning from League of Legends to NFL football, because that's just what I do here. But a lot of news happened in the past couple days. We had our first big fight on the field of the season breakout. Golden Tate got into blows with Jalen Ramsey. And I'm not really surprised since two of them are pro since the two of them are prolific trash talkers. And I'm not at all surprised they came to blows after the game. I don't know what Golden Tate exactly had to talk trash about, seeing as he's a wide receiver on the Giants, and they have only scored three touchdowns on the entire season, and it is now the end of week four. So, you know, less than a touchdown a game? Three-fourths of a touchdown a game? Oh, man, that's bad. Three-fourths of a touchdown a game. That is the Giants' average right now. And they I think they've gone two weeks without an offensive touchdown. 
God, that team is bad. That team is so bad. The Giants and the Jets are the two worst teams in the NFL. And they're both from New York. That makes it so much funnier. Like, New York has the Yankees, and they get to gloat about that. But they also have the Mets, the Knicks, the Jets, and the Giants. The Rangers and the Islanders are okay. There's not much to brag about too much with them, but they're not awful like the Knicks, Mets, Jets, and Giants are. (laughs) Those are four of the worst teams in all of sports. And they live in what's considered to be like one of the best sports cities on the planet because there's two teams from every league that call New York home. But problem is most of them are terrible and it's kind of funny. I couldn't imagine being a Giants or a Jets fan. That sounds absolutely miserable. Like I could not imagine being a fan of a team that bad. Like at all. But I I have no idea what Golden Tate had any grounds to talk trash about. Like, the Giants offense has been anemic, to say the least. And that's, that might be being generous. Like, calling their offense anemic, stagnant, incompetent. Like, all of those words are still too generous for what the Giants have been offensively this season. They're so bad. But obviously the big story is the firing of one Bill O'Brien. Texans, you should have done this nine months ago. You should have done this nine months ago. You should have fired him at halftime of the Chiefs game as soon as it was very clear momentum had swung in their favor. And if you didn't fire him at halftime, you should have fired him the second that game ended. Because guess what? You'd have a new coach and you'd still have DeAndre Hopkins. You wouldn't have David Johnson, who has been okay, but have you seen what DeAndre Hopkins has been doing with Arizona? You would still have DeAndre Hopkins. You'd have a better coach, hopefully a GM who is not the same person as your head coach who doesn't make stupid trades like trading DeAndre Hopkins for a bunch of old, washed-up running backs. Oh. And even then, even after firing their head coach, there's still no hope coming for them. They traded their first-round pick to the Dolphins next year. And their second. Also, Bill O'Brien's doing. He completely gutted that team. It is going to take them years to rebuild. And Deshaun Watson is just going to waste away. He's a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. And the team absolutely sucks. Like all the, all the gifts and stuff on Twitter were of dudes just popping champagne. It's like, this is, this is Deshaun Watson right now. I mean, yeah, I know he's glad Bill O'Brien's gone, but Hopkins ain't coming back. There's no way the Dolphins are going to trade back that first round pick. The Texans are 0-4. That's going to be like a top five pick. Even if they start to turn things around. Their their ceiling is, sure, they've already played the toughest part of their schedule. Like, that's, that's fair. They've already played the toughest part of their schedule. They've already played the Chiefs and the Ravens. They took their beating and they've moved on. But still, 
who else do they have? The NFL, the NFL schedule. Let's just check this. The Houston Texans are in fact 0-4. They are dead last in their division. And their remaining schedule. Jags. Okay. They play the Titans. They'll probably lose. They play the Packers. They'll probably lose. They play the Jags again. The Browns. The Patriots. The Lions. The Colts. The Bears. The Colts again. The Bengals. And then the Titans again. So here's my predictions. Beat the Jags. Lose to the Titans, lose to the Packers. Actually, let's count the potential losses here. Just and add that to four and then do the math from there. Uh, lose to the Titans, Packers, Patriots, Colts, Colts again, and Titans again. Their their best hope, honestly, like right now, is six and ten. And even that seems like kind of a long shot. That is, that is counting up the probable losses remaining on their schedule, which is six out of their next 12 games. <laughs> so they can they can finish 500. They can finish six and six, but they're going to have to do better than that. And looking at that schedule, I don't think they will. Because sure, the two best teams on their schedule have already happened. They still have the Colts. They still have the Patriots. They still have the Titans twice. Actually, they still have the Colts. They still have the Colts and Titans twice, the Patriots, and the Packers. They're going to lose all of those games. Like, they're going to lose those six games pretty much guaranteed. Because DeAndre Hopkins isn't coming back. That, that was the other Twitter joke, which is also very accurate. It was... It was the Texans are looking for the, the trade receipt on that DeAndre Hopkins back so they can take it back to the NFL return window that they wish existed. Credit to Rich Eisen for that one. That one that one came straight from Rich Eisen. But it's true. Like, that's the only way to fix the Texans is just hit the rewind, the non-existent rewind button on all the stupid GM moves Bill O'Brien made in trading their first and second round pick to the Dolphins for this year and trading DeAndre Hopkins. Oh my God. And the best part of all of that is who the Texans hired to lead the coaching search to find the replacement for Bill O'Brien. They hired Bill O'Brien. They hired Bill O'Brien to find his own replacement. Given the decisions he's made already, I wouldn't necessarily trust his judgment. Both roster moves and play calling decisions. Dude's a terrible coach. Why would you trust his judgment to find his replacement? And somehow, Dan Quinn, Doug Peterson, and Adam Gase all still have their jobs. Doug Peterson saved himself a week with that... With that Eagles win, I I don't know how they won that game. Like, how the heck did the Eagles win that? Like, seriously, how the heck did the Eagles win that game against the 49ers? Who, sure, are injured to hell and back, but they're still the 49ers. How did they win that game? And go one, two, and one 
which is good enough for first place in the NFC East. One, two, and one. God, that team is a disaster. That whole division is an absolute disaster. But there's so many bad teams in the NFL this year. The entire NFC East is a complete joke. The NFC South isn't amazing because Father Time has clearly caught up to Drew Brees and Tom Brady, despite his performance against the Chargers. I mean, that, that was more of a Chargers choke job than anything. I mean, sure, he threw five touchdown passes in an insane comeback win, but that was just a flash of Tom Brady remembering he's Tom Brady. He is definitely slow to step. The Falcons are hot garbage. And, like, the Saint, the Saints are underperforming. The Panthers are terrible. The Falcons are even worse. And the Bucks are meh. So the NFC South is terrible. The entire NFC East is just a pile of garbage bags. Like, 1-2-1 and one is good enough for first place in that god-awful division. The NFC East is so bad. The NFC South is much better, but... At least they have a little bit of hope because there's ridiculous amounts of talent in the NFC South. Like, Matt Ryan is still a good quarterback. Julio Jones is still a good receiver. Todd Gurley is still a good running back. Hayden Hurst is still a good tight end. Only problem is, Dan Quinn is an idiot. Drew Brees is still a good quarterback. He's just lost the arm strength. And once Michael Thomas comes back, he will be able to disguise that weakness. And they also still have Alvin Kamara. And Sean Payton is a good coach. The Panthers, they're rebuilding. It's the first year of Matt Rule. They need to find a new quarterback. McCaffrey's been injured. It's not looking great for the Panthers. And then the Bucks. that's just Brady's retirement tour with his buddy Bruce Arians and Gronk. Like, so the NFC South has potential to be better than the NFC East. I think it is better than the NFC East, other than maybe the Falcons. Because the Falcons are bad. The The Falcons are truly awful. And they have the talent, so I'm convinced that's entirely Dan Quinn's fault. And Arthur, Arthur Blank shares some blame, too, for not firing Dan Quinn at the end of last season. Because that's when it should have happened. It should have happened multiple times during Dan Quinn's tenure because they've had a few very extended losing streaks under him. And Arthur Blank just refuses to get rid of him. Like, Arthur Blank needs to fire him. He won't because he still needs time to know if he's the right guy. He's not the right guy, Arthur. He, he really isn't. Like, Dan Quinn is not the guy. Dude needs to go. Dude needs to go now. Like, they 100% need to fire him and just start over and try to salvage something with the last few years of this current core. Because if they, if they don't, if they don't, they're screwed. Like, the rest of this core is going to leave. Like, someone needs to save Julio Jones because he's still got a few years left on him. Matt Ryan, I think we've seen what he is. I think we've seen what Matt Ryan is going to be. Poor Hayden Hurst. Dude was playing on the Ravens last year. <laughs> uh, dude was playing on the Ravens, and he was a key piece of the best offense in the league. I mean, Mark Andrews was a bigger piece, but he was still part of it. Now he's on the Falcons. I feel bad for him. 
I feel bad for Julio Jones. I feel bad for Matt Ryan. And I feel bad for Todd Gurley. They need to fire Dan Quinn. They 100% need to fire Dan Quinn. They won't, but they need to. Like, the Falcons? Like, I said the Texans could go 6-10 and 10 if they're lucky. The Falcons, right now, would be lucky to go 4-12. and 12. Because, sure, their division's a little bit weaker than the AFC South is, but let's just check their remaining schedule. Yeah, Falcons currently dead last, sitting at 0-4, with losses to the Seahawks, Cowboys, Bears, and Packers. Now, Seahawks and Packers, that's not that bad. Cowboys and Bears, that's pretty bad. Their remaining schedule, Vikings, Lions, Panthers, Broncos, Saints, Raiders, Saints, Chargers, Bucks, Chiefs, Buccaneers. Oh, no, they play the AFC West. Oh, they play the AFC West, these poor fools. So, let's see. Um, I think they can beat the Panthers, maybe, but probably not. I think they lose to the Vikings, because Adam Thielen's just going to torch that defense. They lose to the Lions. They lose to the Panthers. The Broncos are pretty bad. Vic Fangio could choke that game. Maybe they beat the Panthers. They lose to the Saints. They lose to the Raiders. They lose to the Saints again in Atlanta. If Justin Herbert keeps up this form, they lose to the Chargers. They 100% lose to the Bucks. If you think they're losing to the Chiefs, no way. The Chiefs are going to be well on the hunt to 16-0 at that point, more than likely. Unless Mahomes gets injured and they end up losing before that. But that's also kind of unlikely. Like, the Chiefs could very well be 14-0 coming into that game and leave that game 15-0. And then they play the Bucks to end the season. They're losing... Like, they maybe beat the Broncos and maybe the Vikings. And they maybe take one of the games from the Panthers. And that's being generous. Like, that's how bad the Falcons are. They could end up with the first overall pick. All right. It could be a three-way tie between them, the Giants, and the Jets over who gets the first round pick. I don't know how you determine who gets it then. It'd be kind of funny if it was just a coin flip or, like, rock, paper, scissors or point differential. I don't know what the tiebreaker is because I don't remember a time when the two worst teams tied for the worst record. Oh, man. What a disaster the bottom half of the NFL is this year. Because sometimes the bottom half of the NFL isn't terrible. Like, the worst team in the league goes, like, 6-10. and 10, And that's that's the worst team in the league. This year, the worst team in the league could very well be 0-16, 1-15. Like, there is a possibility... Some combination, it could just be one, it could be more, of the Giants, Jets, and Falcons, because they don't play each other, finish 0-16. Because, yeah, the Falcons don't play either of them. Do the Jets and Giants play each other? I don't think they do. No, the Jets and Giants don't play each other. So all three of them could go 0-16. It's a very real possibility. 
And I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest to see all three of them go 0-16 the way they're all currently playing. Would not be surprised at all. But one last big story that brought me great satisfaction (laughs) was the Patriots losing to the Kansas City Chiefs on what became Monday afternoon football. Because... The games got moved to to Monday because of the Rona. And thankfully, everyone's tests came back negative enough days in a row that they were able to successfully move the game to Monday afternoon. <laughs> that game started at like 5, 6 o'clock Kansas City time. That's very early for a Monday game. And they still had a crowd there. Like Kansas city was one of the few that opened the season, letting crowds in and other teams are now starting to do it too, because it's been successful in Kansas city and Jacksonville and Dallas. So that's a good thing. Other, other teams are starting to let fans in Pennsylvania's let fans in. I think the Ravens will soon. If Jack young ever stops being an idiot, (laughs) because I think Hogan's approved it, but the uh, the the mayor of Baltimore, not so much. But the Chiefs did not score as many points, but they won by more than they did against the Ravens. They won by 14 against the Ravens. They uh, won by 16 against the Patriots. And they only gave up 10 as opposed to giving up 20. So uh, I'm sorry, Patriots fans. You can make all the excuses you want. You're not the best. You're not among the best teams in the NFL anymore. You're still among the good teams of the NFL, but you're not among the elite anymore because Cam Newton still loses that game. Cam Newton 100% still loses that game. There's no way. The Patriots defense did nothing to contain Patrick Mahomes or Clyde Edwards-Elair or any or Travis Kelsey. Or any part of the Chiefs offense. Oh, God, no. They did nothing to contain either of them. Or any of them. And they did nothing to contain Patrick Mahomes' arm. Sure, there were some bad calls. But the refs did not cause Brian Brian Hoyer to throw a bunch of interceptions. They didn't. The refs did not cause Brian Hoyer to throw a bunch of interceptions and take a bunch of really dumb sacks. They didn't cause that. Like, you are not meant to win that game. Even if Cam Newton was out there, it might have been a little bit closer, but probably not. Because when it gets close, Mahomes turns it on. And he probably would have run up the score a little bit. So, no more talking crap about the Ravens losing to the Chiefs. We are now officially better than you. And when the Ravens and Patriots play each other and the Ravens win... That will be proven. The Patriots are not as good anymore. They're not. And the sooner Patriots fans learn to accept that, the better it will be for them and all of us. I personally can't wait until they finally realize that they're not one of the elite teams of the NFL anymore. Because they no longer have Tom Brady. Most of their defense opted out of the season. And 
Cam Newton wasn't able to play in one of the most important games on their schedule. So now they're in trouble. I think they finished behind the Bills in the division this year. I really do. I think they lose to the Bills. I think they lose both games to the Bills. And probably pretty convincingly. Like, they might get one close game against the Bills that's maybe like 10 points, but the other one's going to be at least three scores. The other one's going to be at least 17. Calling it right now. They're going to lose to the Bills. Twice. And that's the end of the Patriots dynasty. I mean, the true end of the Patriots dynasty was Brady's pick six to end the game against the Titans. Like, that was the true end of the Patriots dynasty, but this year... This year is when it all comes crumbling down. But that's what I've got for the NFL. Stop with the excuses, Pats fans. You knew you were going to lose that game no matter what. And yeah, that's it for the NFL. Up next, we'll uh, get into some of the insanity, the even bigger insanity of college football and a wild weekend of shocking, frankly shocking upsets. That's up next here on the Mashup. <laughs> All right, sticking with football, but switching over to the college ranks. And, who what a weekend this was, especially in the top 25. Like, especially in the top 25 and the the major conferences, because, duh, those are the ones with the, the biggest impact on national things. How in the heck did number 16 Mississippi State, who just a week ago beat a top 10 team, the reigning national champions, and set multiple SEC offensive records, and scored 44 points, the week later, against a far inferior team who hasn't won an SEC game in three years. The Arkansas Razorbacks somehow held the Mississippi State Bulldogs in Starkville to 14 points on their way to a 21-14 win. How does this happen? I mean, that is the most Mike Leach thing I've ever heard. Is beat in your first week at a new job, in your first game at a new coaching job, in a new conference you've never coached in before, bringing a brand new offensive system to this normally very defense first conference. You come in, you, you and your team break multiple scoring records. Offensively, anyway. Multiple offensive offensive records. Win by 10 on the road against the reigning national champions, who, I will admit, had a lot of roster turnover. It's basically a brand new team. And I think with one of their guys uh, being sick on the defense, it was a 100% new starting 11 on the defensive side of the ball. They go back home. First home game, new head coach, coming off one of the biggest wins in recent memory. They only managed 14 points against a team 
that hasn't won an SEC game in three years. I think it was a thousand and three days was how long it's been since they have since the Arkansas Razorbacks have won an SEC game. That is that is two point seven five years. So basically, since we're rounding up, three years. Since it's over two years, that game absolutely would have happened in 2017. It was just towards the end of the season. That's the most Mike Leach thing I've ever heard. And next week, they'll be right back to kicking the crap out of people. Who do they Who do they play this weekend? Who do they play in week six of the season? They play Kentucky. Kentucky's 0-2. Kentucky is somehow favored in that game by two and a half. No, Mississippi State's going to win by 20. They're going to be right back to doing what they did against LSU. Like that disaster never even happened. They're going to be right back to it because that's the Mike Leach way. Like, Like the Mandalorian, this is the way. That is Mike Leach. But despite that, there is a major conference who has been creating a vacuum of suck so strong it has even affected former conference members, i.e. Texas A&M, who got their butts handed to them by Alabama again. Since joining the conference, they have only beaten them one time, and they needed Johnny Manziel's Heisman game to do it. No, the level of suck is so strong. TCU somehow beats number nine, Texas, 33 to 31. Oklahoma State beats Kansas 47 to seven. That's fair. Because Kansas sucks. Somehow, somehow, Oklahoma follows up their atrocious performance at home against Kansas State with a road loss by an even bigger margin to what I would say the even worse Iowa State Cyclones. I think we can safely say the Big 12 will not get a bid in the college football playoff this year. It will probably be Ohio State, Georgia, someone from Clemson, and then someone else from either the Big Ten, ACC, or SEC. Because the Pac-12 is going to start way too late to make any kind of impression. They're only going to play seven games. And much like last year, the Pac-12 will not be good enough to deserve a playoff spot. Because they're only playing seven games and they're only playing each other. They won't be good enough. And not, like it'll, I wouldn't be surprised if it was two ACC schools and two SEC schools. Because they decided to be smart and actually play a full season. And everyone made fun of them for it. And guess what? Now everybody's playing. The Mountain West is playing. The Mac is playing. The Big Ten is playing. The Pac-12 is playing. Everyone's playing college football this year. They're all going to start at different times, but everyone's playing this year. And I wouldn't be surprised if the Big Ten got punished for that and had to miss out on the playoffs this year because... The presidents decided to 
follow the advice of a report that multiple experts said was flawed. Despite the protests of their coaches, athletic directors, and players, they decided to not play the season before two weeks later, basically, backtracking and saying, no, we're going to play a season. Because they saw it working for the ACC and the SEC, and they didn't want to miss out on any of that revenue. And, again, I still feel a connection to this because I only graduated a year ago. They brought students back to campus. If it's so unsafe, why did you do that? If it is so unsafe to bring normal students back to campus, why is it not safe to play football? And they finally came to their senses and decided to play football. And someone tried to compare that decision to all the sexual assault scandals that just so happened to happen at different Big Ten schools. I'm not getting back into that. Uh, This is a celebration of the fact that college football is in fact happening this year. But my God, the Big 12 is bad. The Big 12 is absolutely putrid this year. Like, to open the season, multiple of them all lost to Sunbelt schools. Multiple teams. Kansas lost to Coastal Carolina by 15. Iowa State lost to Iowa by... Louisiana beat Iowa State by 17. Arkansas State beat Kansas State by 4. Texas Tech barely beat Houston Baptist. That was just the first week of their season. And it's only gotten worse from there. Because the teams that are supposed to be good in the Big 12 have lost to the teams that are not supposed to be good in the Big 12. Spencer Radler was supposed to be a Heisman contender. I think that's done. Two bad losses in a row? You ain't a Heisman contender anymore, dude. You're not. I mean, his Heisman hopes should have gone up in smoke with that horrendous interception he threw against Kansas State. We just threw it clean over his receiver's head and not even the most athletic receiver on the world in the world of that height would have been able to make the catch because it was just that high. Like at that receiver's height, even if he was freakishly athletic, that that ball still would have grazed his fingertips. That's how bad that pass was. So the Big 12, probably not going to get a playoff spot this year. Same with the Pac-12. The Big 10 might, depending on what Ohio State and Penn State do. If Ohio State and Penn State do well, one of them will get in. But the Big 12 and Pac-12, they are not getting a spot. That spot is probably going to either another SEC or ACC team, depending on how the SEC sh- or the ACC shakes out this year. will probably end up being another SEC team. Like, the two teams that play in the conference championship will both know they're pretty much guaranteed a spot in the playoff. So the team who finishes effectively third in that conference is going to be the one who goes to the goes to the Sugar Bowl. It should be kind of funny. Like a conference champion is going to go to the Sugar Bowl from one of the smaller conferences and they're going to play against the team who finished 3rd in the SEC. Because the two the the champion in second place are going to both be playing in the playoff. And the way the playoff works, they'll probably end up playing each other. God, college football is going to be weird this year. 
I'm here for it. But it's going to be weird. Because, like, this is how weird college football is. Liberty got votes in the in the coaches poll. Not in the AP poll. In the coaches poll. And depending on who you ask, one may be more important than the other. It, it all depends. I mean, they're... They have they have one more pretty easy game this weekend. Cause who do they They play they play UL Monroe. Yeah, they play UML UL Monroe this weekend, who is 0-4. And that game is in Lynchburg. So yeah, Liberty's gonna be 4-0 after this week. And then next week they go up to Syracuse. That's the big one. If they beat Syracuse next weekend. They're going to be in the top 25 because they'll be 5-0. and They'll have a couple decent wins under their belt against Western Kentucky and Syracuse, and they'll be in the top 25. Then their schedule gets way harder. But, hey, I'm going to enjoy it while it lasts because at 3-0, and about to be 4-0, and they're pretty much guaranteed a spot in a bowl game again this year. I mean, let's be honest. They're going to lose to Virginia Tech. They are 100% going to lose to Virginia Tech. They're going to lose to NC State. Probably. Yeah, NC State's 2-1. They're going to lose to NC State. But they can beat Syracuse. They can beat Southern Miss. They can beat Western Carolina. They can beat Coastal at the end of the year. Bring that old rivalry back. Coastal keeps up the way they're playing. That, that'll that actually be a, a good revival of the old school rivalry from, from my first couple years there. God, if that ends up being a battle of top 25 teams, it's just be like, look how far we've come. Look how far we've come. Two, just a few years ago, two FCS teams who got lucky enough to play on ESPNU on a Thursday night on national television in what was a really good game. A few years later, they're both in the top 25 after moving up to the FBS and playing each other for the first time in years. Sorry, I'm gushing about my team a little bit, but... If you've listened to the podcast enough, you know that's normal for basically any sport. I gush about my teams. But if Liberty can keep this up and they're in the top 25 and Coastal can keep it up and they're in the top 25. Because the Sun Belt's got some good wins to its to its name. If they can pick up some good wins in the Sun Belt and Liberty keeps doing what they're doing. If they by some miracle of God beat a ravaged Virginia Tech team. That could be the best, the most hyped Liberty versus Coastal matchup ever. And there, and the games before had postseason implications. This one probably won't. They'll probably both be bowl eligible already by then. They'll have no implications other than bragging rights. And it'll be the most hyped one yet because they might both be ranked. God, you tell me that in 2014. That in 2020, there's a possibility that Liberty and Coastal are both FBS schools. And there's a potential for both of them to be ranked when they play each other at the end of the season. I would laugh in your face you tell me that in 2014. Like, I thought 2014 was the peak of that rivalry. I was proven wrong a year later. But, that's what I got for college football. Sorry I gushed about my team, my own team a little bit there, but... They've been doing really well this season, and I wanted to show them some love. But 
that's the question for this segment. How are you guys college teams doing if they're even playing? Who's their best win? What game are you looking forward to the most? I know what game I was looking forward to the most. It was against UConn, and that one that one got rescheduled. But now it's that Virginia Tech game because the way Virginia Tech's been playing, I think they can win. But that's all I got for college football. Up next, we'll uh, wrap up the show with some news on the Valorant front. That's up next here on the Mashup. All right, one final segment of the show, and uh, there's been a little bit of Valorant news in just the past couple days. Obviously, Riot's esports division, it's been all hands on deck for Worlds for the past, like, two months, so they haven't had too much time to really focus on Valorant. Like, I know that's technically separate games, but I feel like the people who work on Valorant esports have probably also previously worked on League of Legends esports, so... They're probably needed to help with Worlds in this particular year. Like, Worlds is a massive undertaking, no matter what. Like, it's a giant event, even under normal circumstances. So this year, they probably needed everybody. It was probably very much all hands on deck for this one. And I can see why there hasn't been a new big Valorant tournament for the past couple months. And I think they're waiting. I think, I think they're holding off because the Ignition Series is done. They whet everyone's appetite. I think they're waiting until they can do lands again. And then once they can do lands again, they're going to, boom, drop a big one on us. Be like, hey, we're hosting a Valorant land. The finals are going to be at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> like like that kind of bomb. Or, or something like this. Th- this would be insane. Hey, we're hosting a Valorant land... And the finals are going to be at Wembley Stadium. Just just mic drop. Like, yeah, we think we can book out one of the most iconic, outdoor, gigantic stadiums on planet Earth. It was like, oh, we're going to have the finals at the big house in Michigan. God, that would be amazing. That would be so amazing to have an esports event at the big house in Michigan. Depending on when you do it, that could be a horrible idea because it would be really cold. But if you did that in, like, May, have the finals of some esports event at the Big House, it has to be an international event. That could not be a domestic event because you wouldn't get enough. You wouldn't get enough interest. You you wouldn't get enough interest for a domestic event to justify a stadium with over 100,000 seats. But for an international, maybe. For, like, the finals of, say, like, an MSI... Now, MSI doesn't have big venues for its finals. No, they would have to do... They'd have to do, like, Staples Center. Like, Staples Center was the finals for Worlds one time when Worlds wasn't as big. But anyway, I'm I'm rambling again. Back to, back to the Valorant news. NRG has finally thrown their hat into the Valorant ring. I know they had Ace from the beginning, but now they're actually building a roster. They have signed a second player and a coach. They, they brought in Daps as as a player and brought in Chet as a coach, like full on optic reunion again from, from NRG. Like, so that again creates the same question. What the heck is Hector going to do with the optic IP? Because if he's bringing in old optic guys to play under the NRG banner, which is obviously what he's doing. Cause Daps and Chet were both big time optic guys. In the CSGO scene, anyway. Like, 
they're playing under the NRG banner, which has been NRG's MO to do the optic reunions. Don't get me wrong, but... What is it going to do with the optic IP? Is it just going to be content machine? Is it just going to be a content machine? Or are they going to field competitive teams? Because if they field competitive teams, and he's a probably pretty large stakeholder in NRG because he's co-CEO... And he's full owner. Like, I don't think he has investors for Optic. Like, he bought Optic outright and he bought their CDL franchise. One, that's a lot of money. But he he bought out Optic. He bought it separately from NRG. It's his own thing. What is he going to do with that IP? Because if they were... If they were going to sign competitive rosters under the Optic banner, this would be a good place to start. Is an Optic reunion, the beginnings of an Optic reunion, in one of the newest esports in the scene. Like, the newest esport in the scene. Like, do an Optic reunion in a brand new game? Like, that's perfect for the new Optic. But no, it's under the NRG banner. So what the heck is Hector going to do with the Optic IP? I need to know. It's driving me nuts. Like, I really want to know what he's going to do with that. Is he going to... Is he just going to do do content creation? Just have them churn out content like old Optic used to? And that'd be a good thing to do, but if they're not going to compete... Because that was the big thing. Optic was one of the first ones to be competitive and create content. And show you the personalities of the players. Like... They were the first one to do that. FaZe jumped on the bandwagon real quick, but Optic were the were the uh, initiators. And Nadejot has picked that up and moved it onto 100 Thieves, and other orgs have started doing it too, to varying levels of success. I mean, some guys are just natural content creators on their own who made their own brands, but like it's better if the org does it for guys who don't know how to do that because it's a rare skill. Like, it's a very rare skill to be ridiculously good at a game and have a big enough personality to create your own brand. Like, and it's striking a balance. So, obviously, I know NRG is really good at it now since Hector's come on board, since he knows how to do it. Optic is going to be good at it again because Hector owns them out right now and 100 Thieves is really good at it and other teams have copied the mold. But it's still a question. What the heck is Optic going to do? Are they going to field competitive teams or not? Right now, it doesn't seem like they are. At all. And that's fine. Like, if he if he wants to keep NRG being the competitive thing, which it seems like they're going to, especially with signings like this. Because these are two good pickups. Like, Daps is a good player, and Chet's a really good coach. Like, this is good for NRG Valorant. They they have to fill out a rest, the rest of the team, but it's going to be a while for the next Valorant tournament. And they have to find three people, so it's not going to take an insane amount of time. It only took 100 Thieves a couple of weeks to find their, their new three, and they picked up a pretty good roster. So I could see NRG 100% doing the same thing. And... I can't wait to see them compete in tournaments because 
Like, I want to see where they stack up because they got a good roster. I want to see where they stack up against, like, the T1s and the TSMs and the Sentinels and Immortals who have improved a lot and FaZe. Like, I want to see where they stack up against NA's Valorant team because as far as depth goes, Valorant is one of the best scenes in NA. It really is. Like, Call of Duty is number one because it's way more established and a lot more American kids play Call of Duty. So it's way easier for some of them to get really good and go pro because it just has a bigger player base. But as far as depth relative to age of the game and the scene itself, like Valorant's the best scene in NA. Because there's so much talent depth there, despite the fact that the game's only been out for, what, five months? There's a lot of depth of talent. And orgs are really starting to move in on this game. Like NRG's in the ring now with with this roster once they once they finish it. Like I'm excited for the next North American online tournament. I was I was kind of over North American online tournaments for a while cuz it was like they were always good and Sentinels versus TSM is an incredible rivalry, but I want to see NA versus EU because it's two very different styles of how you of how you play the game. Two very different schools of thought. And I can't wait to see them clash. But now that there's a couple more teams, because 100 Thieves is basically a new team. Like, other than Hiko, it's a brand new team. I want to see how these how these new rosters stack up against guys like Sentinels, TSM, Immortals, and FaZe. And Cloud9. Like, I want to see how they stack up against them. And I can't wait, because I'm imagining there's going to be a lot of trash talk. And that's a good thing. Like, that's such a good thing. That's a great thing for esports. We need trash talk. And, heck, I'm I'm excited for the first NA domestic LAN. Like, a qualifier for a bigger international one. Because there's going to be a lot of trash talking at that. TSM and Sentinels hate each other. And it's going to be awesome. But enough of me gushing about the potential of, the, of this game's esports scene. Because I've done it enough on this show. Big Valorant news. As Act 2 of Valorant comes to a close and we head into Act 3 of Year 1, we have, finally, a new map. It's called Icebox. It looks really cool. It's clearly like some kind of kingdom base, clearly somewhere in Russia. And it's really cold. There's ice everywhere, which I don't think will affect the gameplay too much. That'd be, that'd be awful if you introduce the RNG of ice. Oh, that'd be bad. That would straight up turn it into Overwatch. That would that would turn it into Overwatch with more realistic guns. Which I don't think is what the player base of Valorant really wants. And the the teams with Overwatch backgrounds would uh would do okay. Like FaZe and Sentinels would uh would thrive in that kind of environment. But Hunter Thieves, NRG, Cloud9, they'd Immortals, they'd be in a bit of TSM. They'd be in a bit of trouble. But the new map looks really good. Apparently there's zip lines, which is just going to cause pure chaos. Like the ropes on split are bad enough. Now we're adding zip lines. Yes. Sign me up for the chaos. Sign me up for the absolute chaos. I'm imagining a whole lot of jet play with, with the zip line. Someone riding the zip line 
seeing someone immediately popping their alt, jumping off the zip line, using her passive, using her, using her dad, using her passive to just float down and knife, 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 headshot. <laughs> and just like, oh, you're dead. You're dead. You're dead. <laughs> and just, because if they're anywhere near the bomb site, that's going to happen. Like good jet players are absolutely going to ride the zip line into the bomb site, pop their alt, and just take everyone out. Because how do you watch that many angles? It's hard enough to watch the verticality and the 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 horizontal, but if you're if you also have to watch the diagonal from a zip line, oh that's gonna be pure chaos. Like Having to watch like X and Y angles is bad enough. You have to watch Z angles now too. Oh, that's going to be pure chaos. And I can't wait. That's going to be so much fun. Riot's doing a good job with this game. They're not over flooding people with new maps. I think it took a little bit too much time between the launch of the game and the re release of Ascent to get this fifth map. But I'll take it. I'll totally take it. Like... That, that's fine by me. They are based out of California, so it's probably really hard to get into the office and actually work on stuff. So, you know what? That's fine. If it took them a couple extra months to add a fifth map, maybe it won't take as long next time. Maybe it'll only take two, three months instead of, instead of four. That, that's what I hope anyway. But maybe it'll be a little bit quicker between map five and map six. At least that's what I hope for. And we get, and hopefully we get, or that'll be the alternate. Like every, every season or act or chapter or whatever they want to call it, you get new operator, new map, new operator, new map, new operator, new map. Not, not operator, uh, agent. New agent, new map, new agent, new map. And just repeat that cycle for the rest of the game's lifespan. Up, up to a certain point. Like you want to stop at a certain point with agents. And maybe stop at a certain point with maps, too. Well, no, because Overwatch has been adding new heroes and new maps, and League of Legends has never stopped adding new new champions. So, eventually you have to add new playable characters, just to mix things up a little. But, at least for the first year, every couple months, add a new character, then add a new map. Then slow it down a little bit, start maybe reworking characters. Do what they do with League. Like, a lot of times... There won't be a new character, but there'll be a full-on rework where they're basically a new character. They're just already in the game. Like, that's what Valorant will probably get to eventually. I don't think they'll have as big a roster as League does. Like, League's roster is insane. There's over 100 champions. I don't think it'll ever get to that much. I think, I think Valorant will probably cap itself at, say, about 30. I, I think that's a good number. I mean... Siege has been adding Siege adds new characters every like six months and that game doesn't feel super bloated yet. So maybe it, it's going to be a tough balance with Valorant, but I'm liking where they're going so far. They've only added one new agent since launch. They've only added one new map. Like they're going at a decent pace. Like they added Reyna, then they added Killjoy and now they're adding a new map. Like I'm good with that. I'm totally good with that. Keep up that pace, and I think this game will live a very long, successful life as basically the successor to CSGO in the esports scene.
But that's just my opinion. What do you guys think? Let me know on Twitter at RealPatterson50 at Mashup underscore pod. Join the Discord. If you want to get in on the conversation over there, I'll throw a link in the show description as well as a link to my Twitch stream. And since it is October, I've been streaming a whole lot of horror games. Having a lot of fun with World War Z. Going to play Dead by Daylight with the crew pretty soon. Been playing some Resident Evil 7. Like, it's all been a really good time. So I'll throw a link to my Twitch down in there. I'm so close to affiliate. I am five followers away from the follower requirement. And I need to get average viewers up too. But that takes a little more time. And a lot more effort from other people. But if you haven't already yet, go check out my Twitch. Link will be in the description. Same with the Discord. Same with my Twitter. Same with the show's Twitter. Like I'll put all that in the description. But that's it for today's show. Sorry it was a day late, but I hope you all enjoyed anyway. I hope you all enjoy the rest of your week. And think about it this way. Less time to wait between now and the next episode. Talk to you guys on Friday. See you then.